it's okay not to be good at something in the beginning, that if you failed once, doesn't mean that you should stop and never touch it ever again. And I think for women especially, this could be a really good source of self-confidence and inspiration because we are learning that women are very often judged twice or three times as hard in comparison to guys or boys or men. And I think as women, we should really stop judging ourselves so hard. So if we fail, like we just stand up and do it again or do something else with the same confidence instead of judging ourselves and thinking that we're not worthy. Welcome to the Genius Women Podcast. I'm your host, Yulia Denisuk, an award-winning travel photographer and writer with work in some incredible publications like National Geographic, Farm Magazine, and more. And this year, you'll see my name in places like Condé Nast Traveler. I'm on a mission to help other women who want to grow their travel storytelling careers go after their dreams while feeling supported, worthy, and bold. If you're ready to ditch your fear and doubt to the side, step into your brilliance and take action on your dreams, you're in the right place. Let's go. Hey everyone, we're back this week with a conversation with Alina Rudia. Alina is an award-winning lifestyle and travel photographer and digital creator based in Berlin. I've been following Alina on Instagram for a long time, and I've been so inspired by her work and her efforts in building up a community of female creators in travel and beyond. Alina is the founder of Bell Collective, a female creators community with a common goal of using visual storytelling to break the stereotypes about female travel and creative choices. And I love the mission of the Bell Collective. In our conversation, we discuss a range of topics, including Alina's path into travel photography, those stereotypes that still plague us today, gender roles in our society and how they affect our work, if art can exist without the public seeing it, and so, so much more. I really enjoyed our conversation with Alina, and I hope you will too. Let's get started. All right, Alina, welcome, welcome, welcome to our podcast. I'm so excited to have you on our show today. Thank you for inviting me. Hi, Julia. Hi, we've been talking on Instagram so much. We've met on Instagram, I think, the first time. I've been watching your work and following your journey for a while, and I'm very inspired by you and all your work and everything you're doing. So I'm, I'm super excited that you, you, you're on the show today and you can share your thoughts with our listeners, too. Well, this makes me blush for sure. Thank you for all the compliments. This is definitely a, like a self-esteem booster. <laughs> Which is funny that you say that because I've taken it upon myself to do this actually more, more often and be more vocal about my admiration for other women. Because I think we don't do this often enough. You know, if you admire somebody, why not share it with them, right? It's such a good feeling and it's true, so... Well, yeah, I mean, sometimes it just doesn't come naturally. I admire a lot of women, but sometimes I feel like it's really hard for me to like kind of express my feelings without sounding like I'm, you know, in this kind of way where you the people are just questioning why, <laughs> why is she so nice to me? But I think it's actually, I've noticed that when somebody comes to me and tells me some compliments, I definitely take it. Like, I, I'm really happy about it. So I guess we should really do it because if we are happy when somebody gives us a compliment or admires our work, then definitely other people will be too. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. And yeah, I think I feel like we need to do it more often in general, because that also helps building this environment of support rather than competition, right? That's, I think, part of it. So tell me about this image that is one of the most favorite images of yours. We'll link it to the show notes. You guys can see it as well. But it looks so ethereal to me. It's like they're floating in space almost. There's these two people in the water. But the more I look at it, the more it feels like they're sort of in the sky floating or something like that. Tell me more about the story behind this image. This is a a drone image, as you might tell. And uh, of course, I have like a lot of favorite images of mine from different periods of my life, from different projects. Some are more serious than others. And this one is probably not so serious. Like there's not such a huge concept behind it. These are actually two of my friends in a swimming pool in a hotel. I think it's Villa Dest in Chernobyl at Lake Como. And I remember I wanted to take this image, like I had it already in my head. And, you know, it was quite cold in the morning, six in the morning before everybody was up. So they had to, to swim in this cold water. And I think the positions they're in, they're like, one of them is definitely a little bit like awkward. The unofficial name for this picture is froggies, because I think that it's like something cute. And at the same time, you know, this is like one of those images where you look at it and you're immediately drawn to it because it looks a little bit like a painting. It's very minimalistic. And it's also like two women just, uh, you know, swimming. Off. It's not trying to make them look any better or any worse. It's also just basically a, a cool image of a summer holiday, which, yeah, you, you look at it and immediately have like some positive emotion about it. And I think like sometimes just a positive emotion from looking at a picture is all you need. And this is probably at this period of time, I think this is like one of my favorites for sure, especially from my like travel pictures and not such a serious work. This is definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, no, I can, I can totally see that. And I love that you, uh, you said that you're showing these two women just as they are. You're not trying to make them look anything other than what they are, which is, I find that is a theme that runs throughout your work and we'll get into it for sure today, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I love your work is because of that. So tell me, so you are this very successful travel photographer, creator, you've won awards. So when I was preparing for the show, I saw that, oh my gosh, one of uh, Smithsonian's photo competition, you work with different clients like Mercedes, like Nikon, Samsung and others. You've published several books. So you're a very accomplished creator. Did you always know that you wanted to be in the creative industry or how did this body of work, this path happened for you? And also, what were you dreaming about as a child? I think as a child, I wanted to be a FBI agent because I, I loved X-Files and I was in love with David Duchovny and uh, Agent Mulder. So I really wanted to be an FBI agent, but like I, I'm originally from Ukraine, so there was no FBI in Ukraine back then. And I think that, that this was quite, uh, I mean, it was not really a dream. It was just like a cool thing I was thinking about. But regarding photography and creative industry, I actually wanted to be a photographer and traveler since I was quite young. My father was an amateur photographer. He was actually a nuclear physicist, but at the same time, he was also taking pictures and we had like a dark room in our bathroom and like we had uh, a lot of film cameras all around the house and uh, he was really one of those like really annoying photographers who would take every picture 
right now everybody's doing it with a phone. Back then he was doing it with a camera. And instead of wanting to pose for him, I was always like, oh, no, not this pictures again. But <laughs> at the same time, he really like this really evoked my passion for photography. And I remember I got my first camera when I was 14 or 15 and it was a film camera. Then I got my first digital one. And uh, honestly, I didn't know how to make it a career because I was studying in Ukraine and we didn't really have like any photography schools or there was no really other than if you wanted to start like study painting or classical art, there was no like opportunities really. So I actually studied political science first. I've started really young with 16. I already started my with my bachelor's degree. I had my bachelor's with 20. I had my master's with 21. And then I got another master's in journalism. So I was studying quite a lot. And then I realized that this is not what I want to do. I really want to do photography. And probably if not in Ukraine, then I have to go abroad. So I went to Germany. I applied to a photo school, got in. There was some turmoil with the visa, then I got the visa. <laughs> so it was a long it was a long path, but then finally I studied in Berlin, then I did an exchange semester in Parsons School of Design. So studied quite a lot. So yeah, if you think about it, I think yeah, a good quarter of my life is just basically studying. <laughs> but yeah, that's I, I wanted to do it and it was a longer path than probably most people nowadays, especially young people with Instagram immediately, but that's what I wanted to do and I'm doing it. So this is really interesting because a lot of people that I interview that are on this path, uh, a lot of us, myself included, we didn't go to school for, you know, for photography, for writing. We just sort of entered it from a very different space. So I'm curious, what do you think going to school for photography like that school in Berlin and then that exchange program in Parson. What do you think gave you that you are most grateful for from that experience? Honestly, I think if I had an, a different way of pursuing photography, if, for example, I could travel back then without like getting a student visa, because as a Ukrainian, I had a visa to actually live in Germany. If I had an opportunity to just do whatever I want without all these restrictions, I would probably even not consider studying. But at the time, I wanted to study the techniques. I wanted to study light. And that's what I did in Letteverein School in Berlin for two years. I actually did the black, uh, the dark room and, you know, the printing process, developing process. actually learned how to work with the lights. Nowadays, I would definitely consider if I had a chance now, like if I was younger and actually were starting, I would just consider like assisting a photographer. I think that nowadays it's actually, especially it helps with the business side of things because after all, we all want to be artists. But then, you know, I think the combination of artism and also some business skills, it really helps with actually having a successful career which also brings you money. I mean, basically, a successful career, it means not only being published, but also being paid for your work. And I think it's also important. So I think my path is, it was, yeah, it was windy, but for, for obvious reasons, in my case, I think nowadays, not everybody has to go that way. It was my way in order to pursue the life I wanted and the traveling I wanted, which was not really accessible so easily back then as a person with a Ukrainian passport. I just took the opportunities I've had. And also, of course, going to Parsons really helped me because I feel that 
I need some structure when I'm learning something. And in Berlin, uh, no matter how good and renowned the school was, it was very free. And for some people, it is helpful, but not for my ADHD brains, because I really need some structure in order to succeed. Because if I'm giving too much free time, I'm not going to learn anything on my own. <laughs> I mean, I have ideas, but and actually like working on them is, is the hard part for me. Yeah, structure is really huge. And I, I hear that a lot too from a lot of people that, particularly in careers like this, right? In, in, in creative careers like that, a lot of people need structure in order to be able to, you know, make something out of it. So you went to school, you, you learned all the sort of fundamentals, which is incredible. And then you're back in Berlin. How do you go about getting those first clients and, you know, establishing yourself in the industry? Well, I think I was just lucky because honestly, if I would have to look for clients right now, I'm actually, it would be probably harder <laughs> because I never, I'm not good at approaching people. I mean, I'm good at approaching people. It's just that I don't, I wouldn't even know where to look. And I, I got really lucky that, you know, while I was studying, I've got my first smartphone. And after a while, I, I started with Instagram and I was posting just some random pictures I took with my phone. Still, I try to be artistic. It was not much, many photos of my food at all. So I was still doing it as a photographer. And then after a while, I, I became a suggested user on Instagram, which is not a thing right now, but it was back in the days when uh, Instagram just started. They wanted to attract more and more people on the platform. So they would take a few users a week or two uh, each two weeks, and they would put it on the suggested list, which they will then push onto every new subscriber or follower, uh, basically user of the platform. And I was one of them for several times. And so I've gained a recognition, some following. And of course, the moment where you get following, like the companies and different advertising agencies and social media agencies that they notice you and they start offering you things <laughs> and jobs. And that's basically how it started. I think I got probably the first 40,000 followers. And that's when my first job happened. Amazing. Amazing. What would you say to someone who is sort of then uh, doing this in the landscape today, right? Because like you mentioned too, Instagram doesn't have suggested users anymore. And growing a platform, even from my own experience, growing on that platform is so much more difficult now and to stand out is so much difficult. What would you say to someone who's sort of looking at that as, as one of the ways of attracting clients, attracting projects? Well, I think that social media presence is still very, very important nowadays because people mostly still look at your, you know, they would still go on your website and a lot of clients nowadays, they're looking for a combination. It depends on which field, of course, but a lot of clients nowadays, they're looking for a combination of a content creator or a photographer videographer and probably even an influencer. So if this is a career path somebody's looking for, then probably they should look how to grow their platform, the social media platform. There are definitely a lot of ways nowadays which are different from the ways they were a little bit like five or even like three years ago. But at the same time, if you're looking at it as a business, you know, if you're looking into photography and at your basically not even photography, we're talking content creation here with social media. So yeah, you have to play by the rules of the market probably and try to grow this can be harder or easier for some, depends on the pictures you're doing, depends on the visual content you're producing. 
Unfortunately, this kind of rules of social media, they can totally change your style or they can influence your self-esteem a lot. That's for sure. So for younger people, there are definitely a lot of people nowadays who are trying to go by the rules and they're trying to upload the pictures which are more popular, which will gain them more likes, more following. And this, of course, may change the way you see photography at all because a lot of women, for example, posting their own pictures where they look attractive and sexy as much more profitable, you know, on the longer run than posting their art. Just because, you know, sex sells and we're still living in that age where your looks are getting you more than your work. Not particularly everyone, but this is part of the game. And a lot of photographers I know themselves, they told me that they felt this pressure because anytime they would post a picture of themselves it would perform better than the pictures of landscapes they're doing and of course if you want to have that kind of growth on social media you would actually consider changing a little bit the the pictures you're posting and you will post more pictures of yourself and yeah that's a little bit like a circle where you have to decide whether you want to do it your way or you want to kind of yeah, maybe find a compromise or with your own, <laughs> with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, everything that you've described right now, it's, I've seen that very prevalent, that pressure, particularly even several years ago. And, and you and I probably share this sort of agony over, over the certain aesthetic of the Instagram world, right? Where is this woman in a pretty flowing dress standing in front of some nice view? that flooded the, the platform, right, several years ago. And I feel like it's not as prevalent anymore. And I do feel like things are changing on the platform. Would you would you say so? Like, do you see things changing? And where do you see this platform heading now? Well, the thing, there's still a certain algorithm. So the pictures you see probably more depend on the pictures which you look for and the uh, people you follow. Basically, you're saying that I stopped looking for those women in the pretty dress pictures, but they still exist. Yeah, of course, because those kind of pictures, those are the biggest influencers. And if you go for it, there's a lot of people whom I know who are not from the photography world. And when they hear Instagram, the first thing they think is like these people with like really heavily filtered. There are different tendencies, of course, happening now. Now, for example, a lot of influencers, they go away from this idea of perfected beauty, but at the same time, they exploit this body positivity movement. So it's still the same beautiful women, but they will like, you know, take an unfortunate or like take an bad angle picture of themselves and then they they would post that oh look at this I also am not as pretty it's just all filters and don't believe the internet but at the same time it's still the same beautiful women who are dominating <laughs> the game so unfortunately I don't it's not gonna go anywhere like on a longer run there will be always still people who are famous for being famous or there will be always people who are valuing others for their looks and not for the work they're doing. But at the same time, I think there will be also more and more people and women who are doing something valuable of value and they encourage others to do the same. So that was my goal throughout the years. I didn't really want to compromise much. I mean, I still probably compromised here and there, but I think there are still ways of doing your own thing and other people appreciating it. 
Yeah, and I think in one of the interviews that you had, you mentioned that the times when women were only used as as muses are over. We are the artists now, which I just love that that statement so much. So tell me more about that um, that thinking, which you, you sort of touched on it already. But how do you see and do you see more and more women uh, coming into this field and becoming the artists versus the muses? Well, this is a serious topic to talk about, and I think it's a very important one. And as I've already said, that there is definitely an improvement, not only in Instagram or social media, there's definitely an improvement in the world nowadays in order to for a woman to get into a gallery or museum. She doesn't have to be naked, to paraphrase the, the famous statement from the 60s. You know, there's a lot of women artists who are getting into galleries and museums these days, not only as the subject of some male gaze picture, but actually as creators and as talented painters and photographers and artists. So that is definitely happening. And I think it will happen more and more. I think that there will be always a balance of those who prefer to be valued for their work and the others who probably would still go the easier way <laughs> of exploiting their looks. But I think this is this always happened and this will happen probably for, for years and years to come. But I still believe that there is now like a huge wave of young women who are really just doing what they want and they don't really feel the pressure of being judged by their looks, but they rather do what they want to do and they just want to... Be appreciated for their work not for their looks yeah and it's so interesting for me this whole you know generation of women who are younger than me because i've noticed this about myself that as i'm getting older actually i start caring less and less about what other people think about my looks or the way i present myself right i sort of grow into myself I had this conversation actually with uh, Marion, who is a friend of yours, I know, and who is part of the Bell Collective as well, uh, which we're going to get into in a second. We had this conversation on, on the show recently. I can't wait to see who I am when I'm like 50 years old, like wh- who I'm going to grow into when I'm 50. You know, for me, it's like the older I get, the more comfortable I become and more, yeah, I, I really don't care about how, you know, how the world sees me. What's important to me is the work that I do and what I want to say and do in the world. And I feel like, like you said, this younger generation, they, they're they a different breed. They're already there. <laughs> they didn't have to do that ascension to that spot, sort of. They are already there. So it's it's really exciting to see you know, the things that they will do when they're our age, for example, and older as well. Do, do you feel like that too? I don't know. I have a feeling that I always had a very, like, the very neutral attitude towards my attractiveness and how people see me as a woman. Probably also the way I was raised. When I was little, people never, or my parents, which is the, the important part, they never really exaggerated the importance of my appearance or of beauty. And they always exaggerated the importance of education, of my talents. You know, it was always about me being smarter, being like really pursuing my goals, being like the best, which is also also not very, very positive because you are like then, you know, set your expectations way too high. It doesn't matter whether it's the appearance or the intellectual abilities. But, you know, I, I never felt the pressure. And I think especially from the side of my father, the attitude or like the way fathers perceive their daughters and the way they value them and what they value their daughters for 
is really very important in the building up of a character and you know your your actual dreams and aspirations and your values so in my case there was not really that thing where i really valued or felt any pressure to be pretty and i don't want to be a woman who says that i don't care about my appearance at all because that would be a lie we still are visual people especially as photographers we still look at others and we appreciate sometimes we can appreciate physical beauty just like everyone else this will be a life you, you do notice if people people faces are harmoniously built if there's some symmetry in them if you're attracted to them after all yeah i think the difference is that we just don't place our worth our sense of worth on that right that's i think the distinction yeah definitely i mean i think this is what the women of our generation and also the generations to come they're really winning, especially those who are probably not lucky to be like this kind of conventionally beautiful. I think this is very important because back in the day, the only successful women who were there, I mean, not all of them, of course, but a lot of them, they built their success, even professional success, just because they were attractive to some males in the higher positions. And, you know, they had to do it because, you know, they, they had to work with what they had. And if you had an opportunity because you were like more attractive, you just had to grab it. But of course, nowadays, this is going away because there are so many more women in the higher positions and there is not this pressure. We all know that sexual harassment is not the way to go. And after especially the Me Too movement, there is definitely a huge shift in this appreciation of women professionals. And like, you know, those guys who used to be assholes, even if they're probably still assholes on the inside, they would never do it. They would be more careful now, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there were probably some people would say assholes. I cannot, we cannot change that, even if we try. But at least those kind of challenges which our mothers and grandmothers faced, less and less women face them now. And this is a huge, huge win. And we have to also celebrate that because I think a lot of women nowadays, they forget what a huge step, a step we did just in like a few years, just in 10, 20 years. Because the people are always saying about how unfair it is and like how there's still such a huge gender gap. But we always compare with some ideal, which is probably reachable, but not in our lifetime. But we also can compare it to like our grandmothers or our great grandmothers and see how far we actually came. Oh, I love that, Alina. I love that so much. And two thoughts that come up for, from what you just said. One, this is actually very similar to what I also talk about in our Genius Women community about comparing yourself. Because when you compare yourself to some ideal that you're striving toward, you see this huge gap that is still there between you and that ideal. But when you compare yourself to where you were a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, you see this amazing progress that you've made. So that, that's very similar to what you're saying, right? With this assessment. And the other point, it's so funny because literally last night I was listening to another podcast. It was an interview with Rita Moreno, who is a really accomplished actor here in the U.S. She came from Puerto Rico when she was young, and she, for most of the 20th century, she was this amazing actor. She won a lot of awards and all of that. She's 89 now. I think she's turning 90 this year. And it was an interview with her, and she was telling a story in that interview, just to illustrate that point that we were just talking about, that her producer, I think it was in the 50s or 60s, 
he, I think it was her producer. I'm not exactly sure, remember exactly, but he sexually assaulted her. She stayed with him and she continued with him because she thought that he was the only one who was going to get her the jobs that she needed or whatever. And then when I think about it, like my skin crawls, you know, imagine you have to stay with this person who assaulted you because you see no other option to continue this career that you're in, which is to illustrate that point that how Mm -hmm. far we've come from that, right? Well, I think the thing is that there are still a lot of cases like this nowadays as well. I think that just back then, women, sometimes they didn't even think, I mean, of course, they felt maybe uncomfortable with this, but maybe the whole society that they basically took it for granted. They didn't think that, you know, if a producer sleeps with a beautiful actress or, you know, that that is something wrong there. They just see it as an exchange of, as a bargain, you know, she's she's getting the fame, he's getting a young actress in his bed. So uh, nowadays, I think there's still people who are exploiting this or are some women nowadays, they would probably even do this to promote their career. And I wouldn't even blame them because we're still living in this kind of a phase where, you know, we as women, we just got our rights so recently that a lot of us and a lot of us, they, we still don't know where we stand on this. We still don't have all the powers. So whatever we have to do to basically succeed, sometimes for some, it's like exploiting your beauty for a career choice, because that's probably the only option as you see it at that moment. And you can't really judge people for doing this because this is the yeah, the patriarchy, the thousands of years of grooming women into into thinking that their only value is their good looks, education, family. I mean, we cannot really judge people for doing this because, I mean, generally we are the product of our environment and some people don't have such a, you know, liberal and cool environment and they just do whatever they think is maybe not really right, but whatever they need to do to survive yeah so in this case i'm rarely i'm trying not to be judgmental of anyone for doing the things like if i don't do it this way it doesn't mean that i have the right to judge because probably i haven't never been in a position which would make me make a different kind of decision you know yeah i think empathy right is what you're talking about it's being able to put yourself in or, or imagine how it would be in another person's shoes. And that's where that no judgment attitude comes from. On this path, even in our world, let's say, still very male-dominated, although like we just discussed, a lot, a lot of progress has been made. Who are the women that have inspired you on this path, particularly as you were sort of finding your voice starting out um, in the travel photography industry? Who were some of those women who uh, inspired you and how did they impact you? I really love all those stories from, from the early ages of female travelers and adventurers and photographers. I mean, I was always fascinated by works of Diane Airbus or, I mean, when I started Bell Collective, I looked into like female adventures and I discovered like Gertrude Bell. And this is why I actually called the Bell Collective, Bell Collective after Gertrude Bell. I, I love discovering new names in different parts of art and yeah, travel and basically human history. I'm just trying to like really figure out a, like a certain 
personality, which would really, really impress me. But, you know, just one of the recent ones was Vivian Meyer. Mm-hmm. Because I, for example, for me, this is something absolutely unbelievable that somebody who would be so good in the visual arts never had really aspirations of becoming famous, which is basically like a nonsense and a paradox for somebody who is working in the visual fields. Because I have a feeling as a photographer or actually as a writer, anyone who is willing to do something, you're usually doing it for the public. I mean, if even if you have this creative side in you, I would lie if I say, like, I would be okay with people never seeing my work. You know, I want to people to see it and appreciate it and be inspired by it. So somebody like Vivian Meyer, who really just took roles and hundreds and thousands of roles of films without really even developing them or printing them or not really even publishing them, that just shows me some kind of humbleness I've never had, (laughs) which is also a thing to to think about. Yeah, Yeah, that's a really interesting discussion, right? It's like, does the art exist for the artist or for the public? And can the art even be without the public to see it? Which is sort of a a bit of what you're talking about here. And and I believe actually that story about Vivian Meyer, I I actually, you might have posted about it on Instagram or something, because I think that's where I found out about that story too. And I was struck by it as well. And I also started thinking about that, right? That, That she was doing, she was capturing all these images for years and years and years without any recognition and without even so far as, you know, even developing her films in some cases, which is just a whole other level that I can't even imagine, like you. That's very meta, I would say. I mean, this is something to to learn from as well. She also lived in the era, I think she tried to have some contacts, maybe she just had a bad experience. Because I remember there was, in, in the documentary about her, they told her that she tried to get something published or exhibited, but it didn't really happen. And after that, she just never tried again or something. But So we can only assume that she never really did anything, but just seeing how much of her work was never developed, you you can assume that, yeah, that was probably one of the most genius, like, documentary and street photographers of the 20th century, and we only, like, really discovered her after she died. Yeah, and the documentary that you're referring to about her is called Finding Vivian Meyer, I believe, right? Yeah, I look at it because I have a, a poster from it at home because this is uh, I've seen it when I was living in New York seven years ago and I went to a movie theater to see it and it was I was really, really impressed. Actually, if you talk if you talk about the story in this light that you know that she tried to be published, you know it sort of didn't work. What strikes me then is that she didn't stop producing her art she didn't say well you know that's it you know she continued i I think i remember in the documentary film they said somebody talked about her and i was like yeah she was doing these pictures not because she wanted to publish them just because she could not do it like this is the only way she saw the world she wanted to take this picture she wanted to to like push the button she wanted to be there to experience it and this is something the same for me. Like I take so many pictures with my phone, which I never really publish or put on Instagram or anywhere, just because when I see something, I want that moment to be captured. 
for myself. Some people are like, don't take a picture, keep it in your in your memory. But I mean, I'm not like that. If I see something, I immediately frame it in my head. I see the beautiful light and I almost have this physical urge to take a picture. So this is probably something <laughs> for those to like, if you, if you want to know if you're passionate about something, then think about those kind of mom- moments. Because for me, this is obviously... This is obviously a sign of photography being my one of my biggest passions and uh, probably also sometimes at the moments where I'm a little bit frustrated with myself, this is also a sign that I, I, I chose the right path for myself. I love how you put it. And it, it also resonates for me on a bigger level, on a bigger scale. When I think about this path that I'm on, you know, as a, as a travel photographer, as a travel writer, I feel like there's nothing else that I'd rather be doing. I have this urge to do this. That also helps me in staying in this path because, again, it's not the easiest path in the world. But when you feel like I must do it because I have this urge, then that's how you know. So tell us more about the Bell Collective. You mentioned you named it after Gertrude Bell, who was this female explorer. What was your impetus for creating this Bell Collective? Well, after being a few years on Instagram and after getting my first influencer jobs, I uh, started noticing that probably the photography I do is something that not that many other, like I don't really see me and women like me being really represented and supported and yeah, like being represented on, on social media. I've seen like if you will Google female creators or female travel bloggers or travel photographers, you would usually see the classical interpretation of a female muse in a beautiful dress, a model, beautiful model, posing for somebody else's gaze. Back at the time also, I was invited as a travel photographer or influencer, you name it, I don't know really, (laughs) as a client, to go to several countries. And I very often I was a part of an all-male team first I thought well you know I didn't notice any kind of I mean I thought it was okay it was normal but then you know after a while I've noticed the way if if there will be a guy on my team or a few guys then other people would ask them about the technical specification of a certain camera or they would ask them to explain how to do a shot also the guys themselves that would have this like, you know, the bond and they would not appreciate you as a part of the group, even, you know, if you were the only female, because there's always, there's a little bit of that, where the guys and here's like this one chick and we either feel attracted to her or we just ignore her. <laughs> I mean, it's not always like that, of course, but I still think that this kind of gender divided Maybe like this little bit stereotypical behavior, it still prevails quite often, especially when the groups or the companies or like, you know, the workspace, if it's gender imbalanced, you'll always have this kind of tendencies for, I don't know, people grouping around being like the same gender, the same, you know, just. So yeah, that's a little little bit long explanation, but I kind of felt like I was underrepresented on social media. So, and I felt like women altogether who are like me, professional photographers and adventurers that they were like underrepresented. So I decided to start with Bell Collective and basically just have this, develop this community or collective, not really like a a closed collective, but an open community of women on Instagram who are interested in adventures and travel And they're not this one stereotype of a female traveler who is like just a beautiful woman in a beautiful dress in front of a beautiful building, but 
they all see traveling from different perspectives, different angles. Some of them see it as a minimalistic. They show it through their photography in total different ways. All of them travel and discover the world, but at the same time, they all have totally different styles and there's no one like female gaze, which we're often taught there is. And I honestly believe that there's so many female gazes and definitely there are topics where women are probably more, they're more experts in just because there is certain historical, biological inclination to understanding some things better. I don't know, like childbirth or feeling comfortable about certain topics more just because they're having personal experiences with it. But it's more about, we're talking here more about like documentary photography. But I took myself into some forest of thoughts, which I cannot get easily out of. (laughs) No worries. And for our listeners, Alina shared with me before the podcast that she was just on a photo shoot yesterday, right? So it's it's understandable. No worries, Alina. So what are your goals with the Bell Collective? Sort of what's what's the vision? What are you trying to build? Or what are you working toward with it? I mean, I was going with the flow for quite a while. I mean, we published a really beautiful book with one of the biggest German publishing houses, Dumont, Bell Collective. It's with 14 female photographers. It, it is about traveling, but it's mostly from totally different perspectives of 14 individual talented photographers who happen to be female. Nowadays, I'm really thinking of going a little bit further with it, also starting like a creative production, female production here in Berlin, do more work and support more women and also spread the word, world and also give these opportunities to female creators to actually get the recognition and the jobs that they deserve. Because in Germany, as well as in the US and everywhere in the world, despite women going into art schools more and more, and despite most of the art school and photography schools graduate being women, in when it comes to commercial side, women are still very hugely underrepresented and they're not doing enough commercial work to actually become established in this field. And I think this has to change. So it's not only about some kind of creative representation, it's all about the business power, which a lot of women just don't have despite being really, really talented. Yeah, I love how you put it. And as you were talking about it, and I I, I was thinking that finally the question that I've asked you, what are your goals with this? It's such a masculine question to ask. Everything has to be about goals. Everything has to be about, you know, what are you trying to do with it? (laughs) And the reason why I'm thinking that is that we just recently had our Genius Women Retreat and one of our guest speakers was talking about how there's just this sort of masculine way to look at the world and and a feminine way. And in the masculine way, it's all about conquest, competition, goals, achieving. And in the feminine way, it's more about, you know, feeling, feeling something, living through something. So anyhow, this was... (laughs) This is sort of a side note that as I'm asking my question, you know, what are your goals with the Bell Collective? I'm thinking, well, that's a very masculine question to ask. I, I think uh, goals is something which uh, human beings can easily understand and perceive. Like our brains are made for some short, short time and long time goals. It's just that I think you're you're right that maybe some testosterone-induced goals are more about power and about being a number one mm-hmm. and about like uh, conquering and 
This is something, you know, men learn since they're like young children that they always have to be the best. And it's also a negative impact of patriarchy that a lot of boys who just want to enjoy their life and probably are not that career ambitious, they're also struggling because our society expects them to to want to achieve more. With women, it's like sometimes it's even, it's appreciated when a woman has uh, some kind of aspirations and uh, ambitions, but it's not expected of her on such a, on such a level. This is why when she achieves something, everybody's like pleasantly surprised. <laughs> While from a guy, it's more like it's expected. So if he's not, like if he's willing just to chill and maybe just work some side jobs, but meanwhile, just chill in his hammock and smoke weed most of the time and just enjoy his life. He's a failure. That is like, th- yeah, he's a failure. It's th- thrown upon and by the people who are actually working all their lives, all their lives really hard, getting a heart attack at 50, probably never seeing their children. And at the same time, they are seen as accomplished people while the others who are actually having a happy life with having a little bit less money a little bit less power they're seeing as failures and losers even though they probably lived objectively a more accomplished and happy life yes i signed my name under everything you just said it's such an irony that that's how we view it but you know conversations like this are also happening more and more now i feel like that more people are waking up to to that irony so so that's good um if somebody wants to, you know, get involved with what you have going on with the Bell Collective, how can they do so? I'm, I'm really appreciating uh, people just writing to hello at bellcollective.com. And if they want to write for our blog, I mean, they can spread the word about Bell Collective using our hashtag. We, we try to support as many women by publishing their pictures on our Instagram site. I'm looking forward to building up the community more in the future uh, when I have also a little bit more time <laughs> right now. Like I'm, I'm like in the building phase of the production company as well. So, but at the same time, I'm looking forward to continue building this kind of a community around Bell Collective. So if somebody is willing to write for us or they want their pictures to be published on our page or they have like maybe some interesting story to share they can write at hello at bellcollective.com and we'll do that perfect that's wonderful so lots of cool projects and lots of uh, interesting things that you're working on alina what are you most excited about right now in your life honestly i i have a feeling that despite we were just talking about how you know, like you don't have to be goal oriented. I think it's a lot of stress for me to actually not have goals. And uh, this is why right now I'm writing a business plan and I'm working on something which is out of my box, you know, out of my comfort zone. And this is something new for me. And at the same time, it like it gives me anxiety, but it also excites me because it's not purely about photography anymore. It's about basically building some kind of creative but also business project which really excites me but at the same time it's scary at the same time I realize that you know I can do it (laughs) I think this is also this kind of fear it's also inspirational because whenever you have like a little victory you can just totally understand that you know you can you can totally do it and then everyone can do it yeah, I also like have to a little thing to say that I'm very often inspired not by 
victories and not by stories of success, but by the stories of failures, just because I understand that people try and they fail and that is okay. Because I think we're really bombarded by all these stories of success uh, nowadays. And a lot of people, like, they just really have anxiety about it because they feel that they themselves, because they didn't accomplish anything, that it means that, you know, they're not worth it. But at the same time, when they hear stories of failures and people not stopping after failing once, that's what generally inspires me more because I realize that, you know, there are other people like me. Not everybody's immediately an expert. That is okay to fail, that it's okay not to be good at something in the beginning, that if you failed once, doesn't mean that you should stop and never touch it ever again. And I think for women especially, this could be a really good source of self-confidence and inspiration because we are learning that like women are very often judged twice as or three times as hard in comparison to guys or boys or men. And I think as women, we should really stop judging ourselves so hard. So if we fail, like we just stand up and do it again or do something else with the same confidence instead of judging ourselves and thinking that we're not worthy. Oh, yes. I love that. Couldn't have said it better myself because <laughs> this is what I talk about a lot too, that, you know, we have to normalize failure, right? Failure is mm -hmm. amazing and it teaches us so many things. Even if you fail 10 times on doing something, go again and try the 11th time, you know? Oftentimes it takes us so much more time and effort to build something than we ever realize. And that's also because what we see is those fast success stories, right? And in reality, it all happens much slower. You know, flowers bloom much slower, <laughs> but they do bloom. I know that women generally, if it's, I've learned it in social psychology class, that women are much more, they will never start something when they're not like almost 90% sure that they, they can do it. Well, men very often, especially it comes to like application for a job that like most men, they will apply for a job where they only fit 20% of the requirements. While with women, it's like 90 or 95%. And very often we really like stop ourselves from doing or applying something or doing some projects because we think we're not good enough for it or we don't have enough knowledge about it. And then other people, they just try it and then they succeed. And then, you know, just because they tried, not because they're better at it. And I think trying is always a really good start. Having also that kind of confidence, sometimes it can be a little bit overconfidence, but it's better than actually underestimating yourself because underestimating yourself, well, it never really helped anyone, especially not women. Yes. Oh, I love that, Alina. Yes. Yes to all of it, for sure. I want to close today's conversation and I feel like uh, we could talk more about this subject because it's like we all nearly just scratched the, the surface of it. But what I would like to close with this question, and it's a big one, but how would you start thinking about what does it mean to be a woman who is stepping into her brilliance today? Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I think any kind of human being, I, I'm, I'm not trying to, to really put it into genders or I, I honestly don't know. I can only have some kind of personal experience. I don't know what it is to be other women, woman, just like I don't know how it is to be another 
person generally, so it would be hard for me to answer this. I just think that everybody has to go their own way. They have to be confident, no matter of gender, no matter of sex. You know, they have to be also loyal and compassionate and empathic. And I think a little bit of self, a little bit of egoism is okay, but too much of it can ruin not only your life, but also lives of others. So I think you also have to really appreciate others' feelings and take care of others' feelings, not only think about yourself. I think what you said really, what you showcased really well, Alina, is complexity of being a human being, though. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I mean, honestly, I am probably that one lucky woman whose gender is coinciding with her sex. So for me, being a woman only means that the only way I know I'm a woman is that I'm menstruating every month for now. And, you know, I can probably have children and in my womb, but that's probably it. So the biological part of it, but everything else, I mean, I feel like a human being. I really don't have the feeling of womanhood, which I would really like separate from my personality in general. So the world, the, the way that the world sees a woman in me rather than a human being sometimes, that is a different question. But I myself want to be seen as a person, first of all, and not as a particular gender or sex. That's a good one. That's a good one to close with uh, today's very robust conversation that went into all kinds of subjects. I appreciate your time today, Alina, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Julia, for inviting me. I mean, it was definitely thought-provoking and I I just went with the flow and just talked what I feel like so I hope like I didn't offend anyone with my thoughts and I really hope that probably somebody even got inspired a little bit <laughs> I'm sure they, they they will be I'm sure they will be Alina thank you so much thank you bye-bye Thank you so much for sharing an hour of your day with us today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation we had with Alina. And if so, please consider leaving us a review so that more listeners could find our show. I really can't stress how important it is for us to get reviews of our podcast. It really helps us to get in front of more people who might enjoy our show. So if you've been inspired by something you heard today or in any other episodes of our show, please consider leaving us your review. That is one of the best ways you can support our podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week for a conversation with travel photographer, writer, and solo female backpacker, Alex Reynolds, aka Lost With Purpose on Instagram.